Welcome to the Classroom Brew Podcast. All right, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 44, maybe 45 at this point. Uh, this week, I have my buddy Tim on, but before we dive in, just wanted to remind you to check out at Classroom Brew on Twitter and Instagram, as well as the hashtag for Classroom Brew and hashtag Classroom Brew Podcast. If you'd like to contact us, or if you met me at an AP conference and you got the business card, feel free to contact us, classroombrew at gmail.com. We're currently featured on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, Google Play, Google Music, Overcast, and anywhere you can find your favorite podcast. It's a long list. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how it's how it's grown though. <laughs> so this week, like I was saying, I've got my buddy Tim on. Tim and I we met actually when I was in grad school, and you were a PhD student at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and what, by the way, thank you for coming. No problem. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's your current role at the university? Because when I was there, I think you were in your second or third year of your PhD. I don't even remember. I yeah. So. When you were there, when we had uh, History 500 together, I was in my, I believe that was actually my fourth year in the program. I could be wrong. I'm so far along now (laughs) that I just have stopped counting. And like the, uh, when I look back, I know things happened at a, like around a particular point, but I don't remember when that was exactly. Um, Yeah, I don't. Yes. In fact, that was because it was the, it was the fall after. I got married and we moved. So, yeah, that was my fourth year. Okay. Um, so, I just finished my sixth year, which is another reason why I've stopped counting. Um, <laughs> and I'm still a PhD candidate. I've advanced to what we call candidacy now. So, I've defended okay. my perspectives and I'm just working on my dissertation okay. um, and teaching and things like that. Uh, but actually, next year, starting next year, I'm starting a new position, I guess, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, it's a two-year fellowship that's actually run through. It's an AHA, the American Historical Association, okay. um, initiative that's being implemented, I guess, at 20 different campuses, 20 different history departments around the country oh, Okay, um, called the Career Diversity Initiative. Got it. So I am our department's Career Diversity Fellow. Uh, huh. which means that basically I, I mean, it's, it's a, the, the goal of it is to kind of reinvent or reimagine history graduate education. Okay. Um, because jobs are so scarce, uh, non-existent right. basically. Uh, <laughs> so to, at, at minimum, I guess I kind of promote or encourage, um, students to use their P- history PhDs to do other things, okay. uh, other than, uh, the professoriate, although teaching is still central to it. Uh, sure. It's just kind of a recognition that there aren't enough jobs. So I'm kind right. of just, I'm involved with our department in implementing different facets of the initiative and working with the students and working with the faculty. So I'm really excited basically to yeah. dive into it. Yeah. Aside yeah. from like, you know, the practice of teaching in history, like pedagogy, mm-hmm. uh, what else, what are like other avenues that you can go into aside from government work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and teaching. Those are the, those are the two big ones. Yeah. Right? Those are like the, yeah, the obvious ones. Uh, so interestingly enough, I don't know if this is public yet. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, we'll cut I can, it in post, as they say. I can divulge that it exists. I just can't. <laughs> I can't show it to anyone like explicitly yet. I, it might be public now. I don't know. But basically, the, the AHA just commissioned this big research uh, initiative or project, whatever, uh, called "Where Historians Work," okay. and uh, the the goal was to kind of track um, or to track, I should say. 
history PhDs from, I think they, uh, the data is from 2004 to 2013 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what the data show, among many other things, is that basically historians are working everywhere. Hmm. Um, there's a lot in, I mean, what you mentioned, right? Some kind of teaching job or governmental work. Yeah. Uh, and that includes like, you know, or that doesn't include, but other things that might come up that are obvious, like NGOs or sure, sure. Um, think tank jobs, things like that. Right. Um, but like they, they have this, one of the the ways they have it set up in the on the website or wherever is, you know, they just, they made like a, it's not a word map, but it's something like, you know, if a, if a particular term or whatever came up X number of times, they made like dots or bubbles to represent how big like the that okay. number. And you can hover over each and see what they are. So like... For different jobs. Yeah, yeah. So like there are people, you know, there are like three people with history PhDs who are like fashion designers or there are what? Th- like five <laughs> history PhDs who are police, you know, something like okay. that. I don't know. Sure. You know. Um, and the, kind of the... One of the things that they're pushing, and this is why it, it's directly related to teaching in this way, is that historians at any level, but we would hope particularly if you had a PhD, should be um, conversant and uh, actually experts in like five skills. Okay. And I don't remember what they all are. Sure. But then you can use those skills to do just about anything. Right. right. And so from the AHA's perspective, what they're hoping is that people who are going through programs are able to say to themselves, well, I want a job, right? whatever it is. <laughs> Please. Yes. Um, <laughs> Help. How can I be a historian in this job? Sure. Uh, whatever that is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And so part we're at the phase now where we're, t- we're trying to get departments to actually like embrace this logic, mm-hmm. uh, which is not as, even though it seems self-evident to people like myself, it's, it's not self-evident to everybody. Sure. Um, yeah. so it's, I was just talking about being in D in DC. I was there for the orientation for this. Oh, okay. And, this job. Got yeah. It. Okay. Um, and so it was me and 19 other grad students and then, uh, our, uh, each department has like a faculty team that's working on it. Uh, so the faculty came the second day, just one faculty member from each department. Mm-hmm. And the first day, the first day when it was just the grad students, you know, we were talking about how, like, how exciting it is, um, but also how big of an undertaking it's going to be to change the cultures at <laughs> yeah. these various places. And that's not to say that, the, I mean, the faculty are well aware of this, not to create like a, an artificial divide, but so it's going to be, you know, it's, you know, historians study change over time. And now like you have to gather this group of people in a room and actually like make some change. So <laughs> right, right. Make some interactions uh, between them all. Yeah. And <laughs> it'll, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. I like how you mentioned that the five skills that you need mm-hmm. to be proficient in, because mm-hmm. you ever like when you went to the archives, either at pretty much, I went to like four archives in my entire life at universities. Mm-hmm. The archivists, and I can joke about this because Jack at one point worked in the archives mm-hmm. just collecting things. Mm-hmm. They had the worst personal skills ever. <laughs> like they couldn't, you'd be like, hey, I'm here to study something. They'd be like, you here for what? Mm-hmm. And then you would repeat it and they would just stare at you awkwardly. Mm-hmm. And then they, they just had no like, yeah. or like personal space too. Mm-hmm. They would bring something to you and then they would stand within like an inch of you yeah, yeah. as you were reading the document mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Just mm. It's such a shame too because I mean like they're so smart and they know like when you're, when I'm doing research making friends with the archivists are, is like one of the most important things you can do because they know the collections so much better than yeah, you right. ever would. But 
I, when I was an undergrad, I remember we were, I don't know what we were doing. It was like a, you know, a little lab. We were going to go to uh, the local, there was like a local history museum and our professor was preparing us for it. And she was like, now what you need to understand is don't touch anything <laughs> until they tell you, you can touch it right. and how to touch it, whatever. And I mean, I get it. It's kind of like, you know, if you work at uh, like a library, you know, you're very finicky about the way the books are. I think it attracts that type of person. Definitely does. Um, and not, I mean, it's it's interesting too. Like I've been to, I won't, I, I won't call them out, but the a, a large local uh, history museum where the archivists are very much like. <laughs> That's well done, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what you are describing. But then I I will single out the at the the Chicago Public Library archives. The arc the archivists are like very helpful very interactive but they're also good. good about it. and so like i you know i don't know who knows it's but you're right like these are <laughs> getting back to the skills like it would be nice you know and also another thing thinking about the skills like archivists are historians too you know what i mean mm-hmm. like a lot of them actually probably are ma's or phds yeah like that's a real oh and they will tell you mm-hmm. if, if they are the one that compiled that stuff they mm-hmm. will they will tell you oh, they yeah. won't help you necessarily yeah, in yeah. some archives and some they are really helpful yeah yeah but someone will just say, I, com- I collected all of this. I carried all of this. And you're like, that's great. What do you think about this? And they go, no, no. And they just turn around. Well, and that's another example. So I think sometimes we, and we do this to ourselves as historians, like there's such an emphasis on the individuality of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that even for a lot of people who get into history, but especially for like when I talk to uh, people I know who aren't in any way, shape or form, like familiar with what it means to be a graduate student, whatever. The image is like, you know, the classic kind of like single scholar, like sitting in a room by himself or herself with, you know, a thousand books and like Mm -hmm. their documents and they're just sitting there working and writing and reading all the time. And there is that side of it. But actually, a lot of what we do as historians, and this is a big part of this initiative and also I think just a big part of some of the thinking I've been doing about reimagining kind of like the way higher ed works Mm -hmm. is that it's it's collaborative and you need collaborative skills and you know that doesn't have to mean simply saying like well here i did all this research like do whatever you want with it right but there needs to be some kind of back and forth and some conversation about the interpretation of it yeah and i think both sides like in that in that case like i think it would be really interesting to you know here archivists like you did do all this work. It's really hard. Like it shouldn't have to be a, you know, a, a quote unquote professional historian who shows up and like takes all that work and does something else with it. Like right. personalizes would, it for yeah. a general audience. Yeah. I would like to see more, you know, kind of collaborative work between historians and archives and things like that, other yeah. than just using the research and going, but that's a different subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in terms of your, your experience in teaching, um, I think you, at, at the time that I was in the program, you were also doing um, some TA stuff for mm-hmm. undergrad mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things, and I was thinking about this too with a buddy of mine that also has a podcast that is a kindergarten teacher. And my thought was in terms of planning for a kindergarten class or setting up literally every skill that they need to be successful in the future, although that's a whole other story. I don't even know, like, what is a planning session? Like, like what are your goals if you walk (laughs) into a grad class where, I mean, in my experience, let's say it's a history grad class. Half of them did some of the reading, mm-hmm. a quarter did all of it, another quarter did none of it. <laughs> but what's your what's your plan when you walk into a grad class as opposed to a K through twelve room? So I've never taught I've never taught graduate students, although I've run like workshops for them. But in terms of like if you're talking about teaching like undergrads, like when I'm doing the mm-hmm. discussion sections or whatever. Yeah. Um It's interesting because I've been I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately i think 
more often than not, like really good student-centered teaching or whatever you want to call it, is actually less scripted than people are led to believe. It's still really Mm well-prepared. Like you have to be really well-prepared for whatever the, you know, the topic or the issues are and whatever. And you have to know your students really well. And so when I'm working with, and actually I do, so I've, I've been a TA for undergrad classes, obviously, where basically if you're not familiar with it, our job is basically to attend the lectures like everybody else on, say, Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And then on Fridays, we lead discussion sections, um, which I've always thought is kind of an odd phrase, like, you're making me the leader of something. Like, I, I facilitate <laughs> discussions on Fridays, but I do. Um, or just I hang out in the front of the room. But um, there's this tension between <laughs> uh, there are grad students in our department, and in every department, I would imagine, who do... No planning whatsoever. Okay. So usually on Fridays, what we're doing is there will be a set of primary sources or, you know, secondary readings or something Mm -hmm. that the students are supposed to read and do something with. And then you're talking about them on Friday. So I have colleagues who on the train on the way down to campus on Friday morning will like jot down three questions. And that's their (laughs) that's their level of I mean, they do the reading, obviously, but then they know the document. Yeah. I went through a long phase where I really tried to like, not only would I write questions, but I would, I would, you know, kind of script out or set out like a set of activities that I was going to do. Okay. Because oh, wow. I'm, I'm really big on not just doing kind of like 50 minute long Socratic discussion where I ask a question. <laughs> like our answer. three hour versions that we yeah, did in grad school. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it's not, so, you know, I always, what I try to do, and so in this way, it kind of is like when I was student teaching. Um, at the middle school and the high school. It's a little different for the middle school students, but I would try to have, you know, some kind of, a couple of more or less essential questions and mm-hmm. objectives. Um, and then work backward from there to try to figure out, okay, like, what can I do to get them into this? Sure. And yeah. so I might start with just like a huge question. Um, and then we'll have a group discussion about that. Or I'll start with a huge question and do, you know, the, the, the quintessential, like, think, pair, share, where I, you know, let them think, write it down, talk to each other, and then we share right. out, right? And then so, you know, I usually kind of, how depending on how much we're supposed to, how much they were supposed to read, I might do, you know, 20 minutes for the first thing, 20 minutes for the second thing, and then 10 okay. minutes I usually plan is just kind of, you know, free time, not free time, but what do we need to kind <laughs> nap, of clean up, time right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. So what I found very quickly was that, and this is something that's, eh, it has a parallel in K-12, but it's it's not the same. So obviously the biggest difference between the two settings is that, so like when I, when I TA for a uh, 100 level class, there are 120 students right. and I have 60, right? Um, and so the just, for whatever reason, the discussion sections are capped where like one will be 34 or one is 36 and one is 24. I don't know why they, I think it's just it's a room thing. Yeah, uh, that's true. Like the size of the room. Thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I have one class of 36, one class of 24. So I know the students in my sections well, mm-hmm. but I'm only interacting with them in that, in that, you know, teacher student setting, like directly once a week. Right. Whereas, you know, obviously in a high school, like you're with them for 15 day minutes day. a day. Yeah. And you, I think you just develop a, a more deeper relationship with them. Which is harder or which one's easier, I guess, to engage them in whatever the activity is. Because you said you've done middle school, you've done high school, and you've done undergrads. <sighs> you know, honestly, of all, the, of all the age levels that I've taught, my sixth graders were the most hmm. 
self-motivated. Okay. Because they didn't hate school yet. Basically. <laughs> well, they they're not cynical yet. Right. Um, but they're not like immature no. entirely, no, but yep. they're also not quite mm-hmm. cool in mm-hmm. their own eyes because mm-hmm. they're not seventh graders yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's exactly and I mean, I had a class of sixth graders when I student taught. I don't remember. I had so I had I taught two two sixth grade classes, two seventh grade classes, two eighth grade classes, the way this the school was set up. Okay. And both groups of sixth graders were good, but but one of them was like I just weirdly particularly precocious, like in all ways that a group of children could be precocious. Sure, they were like sure. not only were they super smart, but they were like the kindest, you know, warmest mm. human beings on the planet, like really generous, like sort of whatever. And when I left <laughs> my last day, it was like December, uh, they themselves I I actually believe this. Like I don't think they just duped me into thinking it. I honestly believes that they themselves planned and executed a party for me first period and but i was walking around and i was like this took a lot of coordination like i definitely couldn't do this myself (laughs) like you you guys told me to say yeah and yeah i'm like um but yeah exactly they were they were still and i i mean i think that's one of the biggest problems like in school is like you kind of slowly but surely for various reasons like beat the curiosity and and imagine imagination out of kids (laughs) and these kids just hadn't quite had it beaten out of them yet and they were still i mean they were wonderful human beings but i know the students pretty well but Mm -hmm. it takes several weeks of kind of and you know the other thing like you know like the first week you got 36 kids and then by the second week 10 have dropped and 10 more have added and then whatever so it's you know you're just kind of getting used to who's in the room but one of the things I noticed early on when I was doing my planning is that <laughs> not everyone experiences the lectures the same way. And there's all sorts of problems with lecturing, and this is one of the biggest ones, is that right. it's it's a single mode of, of, and all you're doing is delivering information, you're not really teaching. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get the lecture, you're really lost on oh, yeah. Fridays. Yeah. And you're not going to read, you're not going to do anything. So... Whereas I think the, you know the uh, the ideal situation for a discussion section would be like I was saying, you know, a few big questions. Let's talk about the issues that these documents raise. Right. Uh, you know, and there's all sorts of directions you can go with that. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time every Friday simply figuring out ways to actually like teach the material that the professor covered on Monday and right. Wednesday. Like maybe two, three main ideas from yeah. what they got. Yeah. It's interesting because you know you you. What, the parallel I was thinking about with K-12 is that, you know, sometimes you teach something and it doesn't quite work, so you have to go back and, and redo it or <laughs> just rethink it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like your finger is really on the pulse of the room, so you know, like, if you do something on Monday, it's like, well, you know, this didn't seem to work, so let's just start off on Tuesday saying, well, you know, yesterday sucked, so what, you know, what do you guys need? And I find that most of most of Fridays are basically devoted to, well, this week sucked, so, you know, <laughs> what do you guys need? Yeah. Well, and I, I know I had, like, a, a freshman undergrad type of class where it was, it was like Western Civilization. Mm-hmm. That might have been the actual title. And it was lecture-based, and she always mispronounced the names. Like, mm-hmm. instead of Scipio, she said Scipio. Like, well, let me tell you about Scipio, <laughs> and it just drove me insane. My buddy would always fall asleep where he's doing the head, mm-hmm. head drop and come mm-hmm. back to consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then we would get to the discussion, and we had like this squirrely TA mm-hmm. that was mostly like, "How's everyone doing with their college experience?" We're like, "We don't know what's going on." <laughs> so that's that's what our thing was for. Well, and it, I mean, that speaks to like the <laughs> the biggest problem that I have with this, and it's, I mean, whatever, it's fine. It's the way I'm paying for my graduate education, <laughs> my 
fiftieth year now, but <laughs> it's more so than even at the K twelve level. And I've been out of K twelve classrooms for a while now, so maybe I'm just not remembering this appropriately, or maybe I've like I've created a you know golden era haze of like nostalgia <laughs> or whatever. Wait, wait, when did you you student taught how many years ago? It was two thousand nine. Okay. What is it, 2018 right now? Yes, okay. Oh, God, that's depressing. Um, <laughs> is that there is a lot of, I think there's more pressure at the college level for both students and professors or TA, you know, whatever, students and faculty, to view the relationship as a kind of transactional one hmm. where, like, from the student's perspective, it's like, and this is what we were just talking about, like, we don't know what we're doing or what's happening. So you need to tell us what we need to do so we can get a good grade on this, basically. So I can get out of this class. Sure. So like I talk to TAs a lot who have these like very, you know, well-meaning, like well-intentioned big ideas. Like we're going to talk about big ideas and it's going to be, it's going to be like our grad classes, right? Where we sit around and (laughs) and discuss all these big, big, important things. And then you show up on Friday and the kids are like, well, just tell me what I need to know. I mean, that's a very high school thing. Yeah. Yeah. All levels. Um, Elementary. Yeah. Especially with the last two days of the semester. Hey, mm-hmm. what can I do to make mm-hmm. up for not doing anything the mm-hmm. entire semester? Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, like in the, in my classes that I've taught, like it's basically that feeling throughout the semester. Mm-hmm. But, and I, at first it was like really, I mean, it's deflating. It's kind of depressing and it's easy to blame the kids, but they are actually making a, a very rational choice because they, they are and have been existing in a culture that kind of right. trains them to think that way. Statistically and, yeah. you know, competitively well, just to get that grade. Right. Yeah. And even just, you know, like, listen, the whole point of this is to get a grade so I get a credential. So, you know, give <laughs> <Move> me <laughs> give me what I need to know. It's a very, right. I mean, yeah. And that's where this comes up all the time when we talk about plagiarism. Like, I plagiarism oh, used to drive me insane and it yes. still does on some level. But I like I really get it like I have some sympathy for a kid who's just like I don't really care about this material anyway right. so what's the easiest way I can finish this assignment and it's funny that you bring that up because we were just talking about that at an AP conference and there's some some teachers that uh, and not just in my section people at lunch were talking about it and I was like why is this such a pertinent topic this week but some people have even gone to the effect of contacting writers to be like hey was this your line like I, I couldn't even imagine going through that effort so, like, have you had any experiences like that actually at the undergrad level where it's like, I've got to go find, like, I know this isn't this kid's work. I guess I didn't say kid, this person's work. Not to that. I don't have the time or the energy to contact actual author, but uh, <laughs> it's very, <laughs> I actually always tell the students this and they never believe me, but they also kind of nod like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it is obvious when you've turned something in that it's not your own work. Right. Particularly for the types of assignments that we like. And that's actually the, the one of the issues, right, is that, you know, instead of thinking of the student as being somehow morally deficient, like, why don't we examine <laughs> the assignments that we're giving them that that are sure. leading them to do this? Right. Obviously, they're not getting much out of it. Like I had a I had a student not too long ago turn in a paper on uh, I was on All Quiet on the Western Front, okay. right? which again, whatever. I mean, it's a classic book, but. It's the same assignment that this professor had been giving for a long time. Okay. And like had not been reset. Yeah. Like, and is this really the most engaging book for the students of today? Like, whatever. Right. So there are problems with the assignment itself. But this (laughs) this kid turned in a paper that uh, began with the line something, you know, yada, yada, yada is all quiet on the Western Front is a morally abstruse uh, excavation or something of yeah you know whatever <laughs> and I was like this I don't even know what abstruse means like this I mean this clearly and I've found like 98% of the time 
if I just type three words into Google, the right. stuff comes up. Right. And if, if those few keywords, you think, you know, that's going to stand out mm-hmm. too. Like right. that's a headline from right. Roger Ebert on a movie or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's always, but, um, no, I've never, uh, actually the biggest issue we've encountered or I've encountered multiple times is, uh, students like turning in papers that their friend turned in the year before or something. Okay. Um, that I haven't got, but I've only done one year. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's maybe, well, I guess it wouldn't be harder in high school, but like we use, um, turn it in.com or whatever okay and i don't think they quite have realized that it catches that but it's kind of like you know doping in professional sports like if you're getting caught you're just not trying hard enough basically like you're just yeah well like i get a lot of you know the person sitting next to you they have Mm -hmm. the same answer but you added in like two words at the beginning and one word at the end and Mm -hmm. a little more punctuation in between (laughs) and that's about it yeah so yeah that's my biggest pain in the ass. <laughs> well, and I always get those kids that like they've got in school for the day, some mm-hmm. sort of punishment or whatever. And it's usually the same kid, the one that has like the attitude and uh, like the heckler version of the classroom student. Mm-hmm. And they'll show up thinking, oh, I don't need you. And they'll, I'll get yeah. the quote, give me the fucking work. <laughs> like, we're off to a great start. Yeah, Good yeah. morning. How are you? <laughs> and uh, and they kind of they kind of have this mentality of, well, I don't, I don't need you. Just give me the source. I don't even yeah. need your input. And yeah. in my mind, I want to say, who do you think modified that document mm. for you, man? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It's a really... And I mean, I think about this all the time. Like, it's one of those... <laughs> I, I don't think it's possible to spend like three days in a in a college classroom or a high school classroom, middle school classroom. Or like my mom teaches second grade. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. At any... Yeah. And my dad was a high school teacher. My dad was a high school okay. English teacher. I don't think it's possible to spend more than like, well, three days, 20 minutes in most classrooms. Mm-hmm. And this has... It has nothing to do with who's teaching. It has nothing to do with just... And just, like, stop and think for a second. Like, what are we doing to these kids? And, like, what are we doing to these adults? Like, the professionals, right? Like, mm-hmm. it always... Like, when I was student teaching, I think I had just taken over the class. So, I hadn't... I, I don't think I had taught most of the material that was on this test, but they were taking a test. Yeah, that usually happens. You come at the end of the unit, you cover... Yeah. Two days worth, and then... Well, and this was... It was the beginning of the year. So, it was, like, their first oh, okay. unit test. That might be you know, good, for you, because then they acclimate to you. Yeah, no. It, They're not used to whoever yeah. was in the room, so. And I took over, I again, I might not be remembering it, but because I took over, like, pretty quickly. Like, the second day, I was basically in front of them. The third or fourth day, I was, like, basically teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe I, I, I don't remember. But anyway, they were taking a test, and this kid <laughs> was in the second row. The room was arranged, like you know, like a big U shape kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he was, if you're sitting at the teacher's desk, he was the first row actually to my left and second desk. And he was, I looked over and he was like, you know, he's marking the, the, it was a multiple choice. He was like marking his, but he kept like looking down at the floor and I was like, it's strange. I I just, I like glanced over and he had his notes, like, you know, you tell them to put their, (laughs) you know, put your notes in it, whatever. And he was like looking at his notes and checking and, dude i have to like give me your test man you know whatever but we were the cooperating teacher and i were talking to him about it and it was was a freshman class it's a freshman he was playing football he was in like five honors classes because you know somebody had convinced him that this was a good use of his time (laughs) and maybe what i mean he was a smart kid but he was overwhelmed sure and he was overwhelmed with the transition to high school he was overwhelmed with 
you know, playing sports full time. I mean, that's I, even if you play, you know, whatever peewee football, you're not necessarily playing and practicing every day. I think I don't know, maybe that's um, uh, well, high, high school freshman. Oh, yeah. Every yeah, single day. Yeah. And that's a big, big transition for kids. Yeah. And, you know, essentially, like he was getting the message, not just from his parents, but from the school, from the teachers, from, the, you know, whatever society at large that he needed to do well and get a good grade. Otherwise, he was a failure. Mm-hmm. And so, in that moment, what made the most sense to him was looking down at his <laughs> looking down at his notes and whatever. And it's to me that's not. I mean, all right, I wouldn't want my son to do that, but more mm-hmm. importantly, I wouldn't want my son to feel like he had to do that right, in order to consider himself a success. Yeah. Um, and I that kind of thinking, I think, is just so prevalent. Mm-hmm. In the, it's the way the system is structured, right? I mean, yeah. we have to spend all this time preparing for this test that you're going to take, and it's going to make the school look good, or it's going to make the school look yeah, bad. It's going to make you look good. It's going to make your teacher look good. Make the, and it's just, it's you know, like an like a little you know hamster wheel. <laughs> is any learning happening? Like actual learning? Yeah, right. Maybe. Like we don't know, but you know, they can sure fill in bubbles. <laughs> well, and I've I've certainly had coaches because I had the same thing where I would we would practice from I think school let out at 3.30 or whatever time. That probably wasn't it at all. 3.30. Then we'd have practice from 3.40 until 5.30, 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Sometimes 6.30 at night. Mm-hmm. Get home by 7, 7.30 sometimes, depending on how long it took to get things collected. Mm-hmm. Then you might have like one or two homework assignments that you have to get done. And then you don't get to bed until mm-hmm. 12 or 1 or something like that. And for a high school kid, that's not great. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times... I had vocab words and vocab sentences I had to do, mm-hmm. and I didn't think of it until I was in bed and woke up at 1 a.m. Yeah. and was like, shit, Yep. Oh, that was the biggest, yeah. oh, God. Well, and I always think, like, because I play baseball, and during the season, I mean, I, I instantly got 100 times busier than I had been before, right? Like, just right. for the reason you were describing. Sleeping in first period? You too? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I was like, sometimes stop it, like, I, I forget how good I had it, like, at home. I had, I was an only, I am still an only child. Um, so I came home from practice, like we ate dinner or game, whatever, ate dinner. And like, I, well, I mean, I'd showered at some point. And then like, there was just, I just had a routine, right? Where, and it was right. easy to get into that routine and stay into it. But I mean, I don't even want to know what some other people have to do to like, you know, you're fighting with, not fighting, but you know, you're working with other people in your house for time and space and quiet to do things and well and some of my students are raising their siblings mm-hmm. for their parents who mm-hmm. maybe have three or four jobs whatever mm-hmm. it may be yeah so uh, yeah i mean the or working or things like mm-hmm. that and it's just again like you know you're there are all these hoops that people are forcing you to jump through and right and, you know, yeah so well do you want to i'm going to do a quick refill and we'll do a break and then we'll, we'll pick this back up sure uh in terms of the student life stuff if you, the listener, have a little more curiosity about that, we actually had a student series where it was Jerry, Wes, and Barbara. It was about 10 minutes each, and they were talking about their lives going through high school and their personal lives. So Wes was a father. Barbara had two jobs. Jerry moved around a lot. So if you'd like to hear more about those struggles, I believe those were episodes 40, 41, and 42, respectively. That's really cool. So if you'd uh, like to reach out to us. Uh, we're gonna, Tim and I are gonna take a quick break for you guys. It'll seem like a week, but for us, it'll be a matter of moments. <laughs> but feel free to reach us, classroombrew at gmail.com, at classroombrew on your favorite social media. Check us out anywhere you can find your favorite podcasts. Uh, and then always, of course, check out hashtag two pods a day and hashtag teacher pods where you can check out other great indie podcasts around the world, including ones that are focused on teaching, such as the Lazy Teacher Podcast and the Honest Teacher Podcast. 
Timmy. We'll see you in a couple seconds. Everybody else, thank you for listening. And until next time, class dismissed. Thank you.